Good evening. Um, it's good to be back here with all of you. I didn't even think I was going to make it today, and Phil and I were like, uh, we don't know what else to do. Um, I got a call at like one and just found out they're going to like shut down our whole parking lot, turn it into a crime scene. Like 10 minutes later, I turn around and there's crime scene tape hanging off my car. And police are like, you're not leaving for at least five to six hours. We got to figure this out. And I'm like, no, 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 I have somewhere to be. And if I'm not there, it's not good. And so I'm like thinking of slipping out the back and going over to IHOP and calling an Uber just to get here. So instead, I did the rational thing and I figured out what was going on well before the detectives did. And now I'm here. Um, so glad to be back. Uh, last week, Phil talked about the Holy Spirit is bringing order to chaos. Our lives are chaotic. Our inner thoughts are chaotic. People around us are chaotic, of course. And so we discussed how the Holy Spirit brings order to that chaos. So in case you missed it last week, highly encourage you to go back and watch that. Uh, tonight, we'll continue to look at the Holy Spirit, especially the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in certain individuals in the Old Testament. And we, we have a few lists of like what spiritual gifts look like, uh, mostly in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, not as, as drawn out, um, not as dialed in. But we do see a lot of accounts of people using their gifts in the Old Testament. So I'm going to highlight two um, and just give you some context there. And then we'll primarily look at a text in Isaiah tonight. So in Genesis 41, Pharaoh, who we've probably all heard of, he's having these dreams, and he can't figure out what's going on. And so Pharaoh goes to Joseph and, and tells him, he's like, I, I'm having these dreams, and I, I don't know what's going on. I know they're about Egypt, but help me figure this out. And, and Joseph's like, I can't do that, but God can. And so Pharaoh's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ask you anyway. And so Joseph figures out what the dreams meant. And it says, you know, the, there's going to be a famine in Egypt. And you, Pharaoh, you, Pharaoh, you need to appoint a wise person to figure out what to do with the food for this famine. And Pharaoh's like, well, why don't you just do it? And so now Joseph is stuck as kind of the food administrator uh, during the famine because he knows the solution to that. He has understood the dream. No one else could do it. And he's got the solution. That's how they are going to work through the famine with Joseph's help. And then in Exodus um, 35, this is just a kind of a blip, but it, it, it really, I mean, still like we can see some of this today. Moses is talking about this guy named Bezalel and how he was empowered by the Lord to make art, uh, works of gold, silver, bronze, um, to cut stones, to work uh, with wood, and make other crafts. Don't know what that really looked like, but that's what the text says. But he made embroideries of fine linen in royal colors. These actually went into the tabernacle. And so God had given him a gift to decorate the tabernacle, which is really cool because we actually don't know any more to this story, really. But Bezalel's work has very much preceded him. Like, we can still go to some museums and see uh, different exhibits of the tabernacle and what that looked like. So to me, that's that's kind of a cool um, gift that's actually lasting today. Um, but the, the 
full text I want to read tonight is out of Isaiah 61, um, verses 1 through 9. So I'm going to read this for us tonight. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow them as a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise. Instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people of the Lord or the people the Lord has blessed. So, sorry, that was long, but um, it'll make sense later. But I believe these texts take different people, so these three things that, that I've gone through, and we see these people empowered through the Holy Spirit, both for his glory and the edification of others. The gifts given are to be a benefit to the society and the community. So tonight, that's kind of where we're going with this. So settling in Isaiah here, we we often think of, so Isaiah is a prophet, and he's one of kind of the biggest ones in the Bible. And we often think of prophets as like people that can see into the future. Like that's kind of our modern understanding. And that's just not right. The, the role of the prophets are to see the world and tell about it from God's point of view. We think of like foretelling, right? Like crystal ball, but they are rather forthtelling. So they see the world how God sees it, and then they bring that out into the public. They see that sin entered the world and that God's intention was to have a beautiful world. Now, this is not the case. And so their job is to seek out injustice, evil, idolatry, and try to bring people back to God. That's what they do. They speak up to bring people back. Before Jesus, we had the prophets. Through some empowerment or whatever their gifts were, we're settling in Isaiah. So through his prophetic witness, he was pretty much one of the biggest redeemers of that time. They loved justice. They were agents through God um, 
or agents of God through the Holy Spirit. And they were actually like actively on the ground. Like we see a lot of that um, with the work of Apostle Paul, like just actually working at kind of the, the front lines. And so not only did they like call things out, but they were actively doing things. So this text in Isaiah, I, I broke it up into three pieces, which I think makes a lot more sense. And so this is kind of how Isaiah 61 reads in these three parts. So number one, the Holy Spirit loves justice. Number two, the Holy Spirit empowers people to be rebuilders. And number three, the Holy Spirit will use people, us, to bring others back to God. So on that first point, the Holy Spirit loves justice. We read in the very beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah this, this part where it says, he's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the Israelite tradition, that was called the year of Jubilee, where every 50 years, slaves were freed, prisoners were set free, captives were set free, all debts were forgiven, property was returned to its original owners. In addition, all labor would cease, and anyone bound by like a labor contract was freed. So in this time, like if you wanted to commit a crime, do it on like that 49th year, you won't have that much time in prison. It's not the same anymore. But um, what was really interesting is when labor ceased, um, a lot of farming ceased. So the land actually got a year to rest. So this is what kind of also ties the Old Testament Holy Spirit to the New Testament message of redemption and forgiveness. It points us to the debt of sin that Jesus paid. Additionally, when Jesus starts his ministry, he actually goes to the synagogue, picks up a scroll, and reads this text in Isaiah, and then puts it back and says, this scripture has been fulfilled. And everyone freaks out. And number two, the Holy Spirit empowers people to be rebuilders. So we know of all, like, the destruction in the Old Testament. We've seen, we've seen destruction in our society, the Israelites would recall Babylon. When they heard destruction, that word destruction, they would generally recall Babylon and how many times that was destroyed. For us, we would unfortunately recall school shootings, terrorism, COVID, floods, fires, tornadoes, natural disasters. These were things that would shake a society. But through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we find ways to work through and pass those things. Rodney Stark um, is a, he wrote this book that I just can't put down and I've read it over and over. Um, he's basically a Christian sociologist and he tries to understand how the church grew, the early church grew overnight. And he made these observations about Antioch, which was kind of the center of early Christianity in the Roman Empire. And he details everything that they had to go through and every time they rebuild their society. It's, it's nuts. He says, they went through at least 100 earthquakes, eight so severe that many people died. They went through at least three epidemics with a mortality rate over 25%. And they also went through at least five serious famines and then just multiple other, you know, social downfalls. So as I said, he's writing this book, trying to figure it out. And 
his guess, like he's like, why is Antioch, why does Antioch keep rebuilding? Why go through at least 100 earthquakes and say, we're going to just rebuild and this place is probably fine. We're not going to have another earthquake. So he thinks, number one, Antioch was kind of in this upper area and it could have been a great cover or, um, you know, some sort of fortress so that they could stay safe from the Persian border. Um, or he just says, you know, this was their home and they've been called to rebuild. They understand the Old Testament narrative and they try, not always successful, they try to rebuild it and make it better every time. And so in, in his conclusion, um, he says this. Is that slide up? Yep. He said, Christianity revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships, able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with homelessness and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as a well of hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent and ethnic strife, Christianity offered a basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. That's crazy. And I, I, some of the stuff he says in this book just leaves me speechless. And he says, there's abandoned children all over the place in Rome, and Christians are just sweeping them up, and their, their numbers are growing. And that third point, um, the Holy Spirit will use people to bring others back to God. And that's how the prophets saw it. Again, their job was, was actually pretty dangerous. And they were not, not only the most vocal about those issues, but they would also physically engage. So have you ever been around a person that's like all bark, no bite? Like super annoying person to be around? Um, like why bring it up and not do anything about it? Um, <laughs> and that's so frustrating to me because it's like you, you're going somewhere that, with this, you kind of have your gift going and then you're just, you're just not doing anything about it. Um, so, like, don't bring up a problem if you don't have a solution, right? Um, we should, in many ways, call out what's going on in our community, society, and the world. But the thing is, we need to also do something about it. It's showing people something different, a new way of li living, and honestly, a way that leads back to Jesus. That's what the follower of Jesus should be doing. And we're still, like some of us, even me, trying to figure out our gifts. Um, I've kind of actually found that I've felt the Holy Spirit slowly pushing me back to Jesus as well. So like, don't be surprised if that happens. So ultimately, what does this mean for us? I think Isaiah 61 verse 9 kind of ties it back, says their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. What that's saying is the church today is the continuation of the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of what we saw in Luke 4, and we are, as followers, empowered to show up and keep that going 
and as followers of Jesus, led by the Spirit, that Spirit has given us gifts, we're in it. We're doing it as well. So we've seen men and women throughout history bringing people back to Jesus, whether it's by teaching, by serving, generosity, leading, sharing wisdom and knowledge, showing mercy, being prophetic, having faith in each other. And we are doing those things too. The gifts we have received are to be used in our current tangible community. That's what they're there for. And I don't think anyone would argue against that. But what I'm saying is not all gifts are for everyone. I would argue that in in a follower of Jesus, we should at some, throughout most of our lives, be showing some generosity, faith, and serving. But it's very clear in Isaiah, his emphasis on calling out wrong in society and ushering in Jesus is one of the best things we can focus on but we're not all called to be prophetic. Some of us here in in this community are, and I've witnessed that. And I know people around here that will speak up and show up, and they do both very well. But perhaps that's not you. Perhaps you kind of fall more on like the knowledge wisdom side. Like we're all all smart, perceptive people. If, If you find that like there's something going on, find that person that you know that has that gift that's, you know, a little bit more prophetic Bring that up with them. I mean, that's, that's for the betterment of our community, right? So our gifts should be for the edification of the whole body, that is the church, not merely for our enjoyment or enrichment, um, for like the individual that possesses them. And our gifts just can't happen in a vacuum. It's an outpouring on the people around this community, which means we need each other, right? Simple. And I've seen our community learn to grow through our gifts. We've seen great acts of generosity, as Phil shared a few weeks ago. We're sending Haley out as a result of our generosity, and honestly, probably through some prophetic witness as well, since she's going to Ukraine and working with um, children and refugees. We have artists, like, all across the board here. Um, We've had families that have fostered, volunteers that have served on a weekly basis. Like, we're already actively doing this. And we need to recognize it. So I'd say, like, let's start recognizing each other's gifts around here. And I think the more we actually start recognizing each other's gifts, the more we start to understand about our gifts as well, right? Like I said, it can't happen in a vacuum. The more we start talking about it, the more it's going to start making sense. And I think... The message of Isaiah is still relevant today, and our, our thoughts about justice or injustice, our response to COVID, our leadership team actually had like this detailed spreadsheet when COVID first showed up, and it was just full of information on like who's, who's good, who's unwell, who needs food, who needs whatever, and people's names in red meant they had them. Like it was, it was crazy the response that, that our leadership team here had. And we've had both prayerful and physical responses to tragedies in people's lives. We put ourselves in harm's way for others. We've had meetings with folks about their doubt, their suffering, their chaos. And we've brought them back to the church. And and we face many challenges here. And through a lot of challenging times, especially through COVID and other things, I've actually seen churches just turn away, say we're done. 
But I think what we've learned here is that being prophetic or using any gift for the mat, for just any gift for that matter, requires us to show up, right? It requires us to show up. Have you ever had a coworker, boss, or employee who just wouldn't show up, right? Super annoying or like people call out. Um, I've had a guy say, my dog peed on the carpet. I can't come in today. It takes you eight hours to do that? Or I had one guy say, um, well, I was running late, so I just decided not to come in. Oh, okay. So when people don't show up, it makes things a lot, a lot harder, right? So what if they don't show up? What if Dr. King didn't show up? What if the police didn't show up? What if the EMT didn't show up? What if the potential foster parents didn't show up? What if the surgeon didn't show up? What if that check in the mail that you desperately needed didn't show up because the accountant didn't show up? What if the baby didn't, babysitter didn't show up and you've got to go to work and you're short on rent? You know, like those are, that's kind of the reality of the situation. Our lives are actually heavily based around people showing up. If not, it's complete chaos. So we need each other to be present. Like I said earlier, we can't do this alone. And if we try, um, just there's, there's failure. And that's just not how it works. We are called over and over to show up. And yes, that takes effort and that takes time. And Phil said last week how just life itself seems chaotic. And everything seems like it requires effort. But in the midst of all that, we need to remember that there's still people that rely on us. We still have kids that rely on us. We still have family members that rely on us, neighbors, friends. And looking at things like at a macro level, like on a big picture level, unless you live in the woods, People are dependent upon people. Like, look at the supply chain issue that we just had. If something goes wrong on the other side of the, the world, whether lack of staff or technology, issues at the plant, whatever, the chaos starts bubbling up, right? Then ships are backed up. Stores can't keep shelves stocked. People can't get necessities. The stores can't pay their employees because they're not getting product to make money. People lose their jobs. That macro level that I just described probably, in, I mean, that includes millions of people in that mix, right? Like I was driving past, my brother-in-law works at Target, and he was riding in the car with me, and we were driving past Target. This was only a month ago. And he goes, see all those shipping containers out there? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's all Christmas stuff that we ordered in 2021, and we just got. And I'm like, that's insane. And so it spirals, right? It spirals into chaos. And at a macro level, small scale, we have friend groups, neighborhoods, communities. Showing up for those things is important. If we don't show up for our, commu or for our communities, things start to lack meaning. People start to feel less important and disconnected. Again, that chaos starts. 
Just like the early church in Antioch, we need to bring people back in, connecting them to a cause and a reality that enriches their lives. And sometimes we do that again and again. And I think we've done a great job doing this in our community. Like when Phil gave an update a few weeks ago, it was clear that we have been working together to find ways to be together. We have been working together to find ways to be together. And that's so encouraging. And to me, that just speaks volumes about who we have here. And for me, like COVID changed me. I, was, I didn't, I always liked to be at home. And then I got a long time out. And now I like always want to be around people. And maybe that's a gift. I don't know. But that's like, that's just kind of where I'm driven now, which has been um, actually really refreshing for me. Like back in the day, I wanted to put the uh, mat on my door that said, be gone by nine. Have you seen those? And Nikki would get really upset with me when I'd like nine o'clock rolled around and I'm grumpy and everyone needs to leave. And I've changed. Um, so there's a lot of amazing people that call this place home. And to the people that have used their gifts around here for the enrichment of community, thank you. Um, it's actually been a lot of my own enrichment as well. So that's been huge. So let's keep doing that. Let's keep leaning into the spirit, have conversations around your gifts and what your gifts might be. Let's do it together. That's what we're designed to do. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for um, this evening. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to figure out how to be here. And thank you for this community, the gifts that you've given us, um, the gifts that we um, are trying to figure out, trying to figure out together, and just the focus on people wanting to be together um, is very refreshing in this time. So Father, be with us the rest of our week, and just thank you for everything that you're doing here. It's in your name. Amen.